You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Guys, today I'm welcoming Melissa Bruto to the podcast. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So today I think is going to be a little um, controversial, but I think that part of what I really want to do on this podcast is inform women about all sorts of issues and this issue included. So I would love to have a conversation about you know anything these days that involve women. And this is exactly what this podcast is about. So Melissa, tell us who you are, what you do, and why this is of interest to anybody that's listening that's a woman. Sure. So I am an attorney and activist, and I am the co-director of a nonprofit based in Brooklyn called the SOAR Institute. And we're an advocacy and policy and capacity building organization for sex workers and survivors of human trafficking. And we look at the issues of sex work, criminal justice system, human trafficking, all from a harm reduction lens. And um, so it's it's sort of not the traditional approach in terms of utilizing criminal justice system. It is more the approach of how do we ensure that people, whether they're trafficked or whether they choose to be in the sex industry, have full access to their rights. Okay. Awesome. So I want to break this down a little bit because I have a good friend who may even be listening. Her name is Lauren. And um, she talks a lot about trafficking. She does a lot of volunteer work and raises money for trafficking, victims of trafficking and survivors of trafficking. And I and I said to her, you know, Lauren, I don't understand the traffic. Like explain to me the trafficking because it's like a word that we know. Mm-hmm. But you know, the truth is that like... I needed her to explain to me, how does it happen? And oftentimes it would happen without the person even knowing. And I couldn't really understand that. So can you explain that a little bit for people who don't really know what trafficking is and how people get into something like that, either on purpose or by accident? Sure, sure. So I'll start with the boring legal definition just because that gives it a framework, but then I'll give some examples. So the federal definition under the Trafficking Victims Protection Act is that a severe form of trafficking involves force, fraud, or coercion. And particularly when we're talking about trafficking into prostitution, right, which um, there's someone can be trafficked into various forms of labor, whether it's sexual labor, domestic labor, factory work, restaurant work, right? Um, But I've focused on sexual labor, Or if someone is under the age of 18 and they're induced into prostitution, which is a a looser term than force or fraud. Mm -hmm. And so what that can look like, I think the best way to explain it is maybe an example or two, because legal definitions might, you know, I I mean, I'm a lawyer and they go over my head. Um, So I think the best way to to describe it can give sort of an example of a a young woman who might be trafficked within the United States. And I I think a a misunderstanding is that people have to cross international lines. You don't. You can be trafficked within your own neighborhood where you grew up. I'm glad you said that because that's a big misconception. Because I think we think of it as it happens other places. It doesn't happen here. Exactly. And so people in the U.S. either are trafficked domestically, meaning they're from 
America and they're trafficked here. Or, you know, people are trafficked, um, brought in from another country, either through trafficking or debt bondage or another mechanism where they come here voluntarily and then are trafficked here. Um, but the trafficking d- itself doesn't involve crossing state lines. Mm-hmm. So I'll give an example of someone who is domestically trafficked, let's say a young woman who uh, does not have a stable home life for, for various reasons, doesn't have economic and educational opportunities because of systemic poverty and racism, and perhaps starts dating a man when she is, let's say, 15 and the man is in his 20s. And he is able to offer her security, which she sees as love, and also a way to make money, right? And so, you know, you have this older boyfriend you feel like he loves you and he is really using the woman to make money, right? Having her go and have sex with other men to make money. Mm -hmm. And it takes a very long time for that woman or, you know, someone in that type of situation to realize, right? What is going on? Mm -hmm. And it's not simple. It's not clear cut. It is often for the most part, not, that you're kidnapped and put in handcuffs. It is very often a partner, right? A boyfriend, a lover who, you know, develops that trust and that relationship and then is able to slowly, you know, sort of manipulate the situation for his or her own benefit. Mm. Um, That is, is honestly both domestically and internationally one of the most common sort of fact patterns that I've seen is that it is an intimate partner. Mm -hmm. So it is very much tied to, you know, intimate partner violence in that way. So I think that that is where it is, is a circumstance where someone isn't, doesn't know that they're being trafficked, right? They're, they're not walking around saying, I'm a victim of human trafficking. You know, that's a legal label, right? That we, that we put on to, for various um, remedies, but it's, it's a much more complex romantic or personal situation Mm -hmm. that uh, is, that leads to, Mm -hmm. you know, the person being in that set of circumstances. And so I think that it can look, it it looks very different than how it's often portrayed in the media. It's much more complicated and it's much more fuzzy. And, you know, it, um, it, you know, and that's where sort of binary solutions that we often have utilizing the criminal justice system or other ways of labeling people, right? Victim perpetrator don't always fit. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned all this because I think that that is how it's portrayed in the media. You know, women being kidnapped or tied up or held hostage and, yeah. and you know, taken other places. And this is what we see as trafficking in, in the world. So it's, it's good that you're sort of debunking that myth. And it's part of why I really wanted to have you on this podcast because I think that um, there's a chance that at some point somebody's going to listen to this podcast and go, wait a minute, that might be me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. It can be subtle in this, in the way that intimate partner violence can be subtle, mm-hmm. right? It's not somebody takes you on a first date and punches you in the face, right? It is a much more subtle, nuanced development of a relationship that uses emotional manipulation and various other, there could be substance use involved. There can be other tactics to control the person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think 
that it it doesn't lend itself necessarily to a black and white analysis. Can we can we take a step back and say, well, that you know, trafficker is the perpetrator and this woman is a victim? Sure. But those labels I think fall short of the reality of what's happening. Mm. So what happens when a woman starts getting this inkling or this gut feeling or even a full feeling of like, wait a minute, something is not right here or I want out of this and I can't get out of it and I don't know what to do. Where do they go for help? Yeah. So in New York, and I'm sure your listeners are from, from all over, but I happen to be based in New York and we're lucky in the sense that there are quite a few services, uh, service providers in New York, and, and there are many around the country as well. But I know that New York has really been a pioneer in many ways of services for survivors of trafficking. And uh, unfortunately, there are, there are never enough beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a consistent problem that if somebody needs a place to stay, that can be hard. There are often waiting lists. But certainly if somebody needs some support, you know, there are places to call and get that support. The SOAR mm-hmm. Institute, even though we're not a direct service organization, I'm an attorney and my co-director is a, is a therapist. And so we, we certainly triage intake calls and, and people in need. And the best way to reach us would be info at soarinstitute.org, or you can call us at 914-450-7137 if you're in need of support. There's also some other organizations. Safe Horizon is a really wonderful one, and they're throughout New York City. My sister's place out in Westchester. So there's many great organizations where people are trained to deal with intimate partner violence and human trafficking mm-hmm. uh, and violence and criminalization and support, you know, provide support. Mm-hmm. Now, the women that you talk about, uh, you know, about being younger and whatnot, I mean, I'm assuming that this would happen also to women that I think you would think it wouldn't happen to, that maybe you think, wait a minute, you're too smart for that, or how did that happen? And so I want to kind of debunk that shame a little bit as far as that's concerned, because like you said, it's a a, um, slower process. It's like the frog in the water, right? (laughs) Like you put the water just heats up and you don't realize it kind of a thing. Definitely. Definitely. There is never any any shame or blame and experiencing any type of violence. And I, I think it's, we're in such an interesting moment right now in our country mm-hmm. with, you know, Dr. Ford testifying last week and the Me Too movement. And this definitely applies, I would say double fold <laughs> for mm-hmm. people in the sex industry because there is already such a veil of shame and stigma that our society has placed on the sex industry. Again, whether someone is there by choice or whether they're coerced. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially women, although it can, of course, people of all genders can be impacted, but especially women and trans women internalize that shame and that stigma Mm -hmm. and say, oh, I should have known better. or I shouldn't be in that situation or I shouldn't have reacted to that situation in a particular way. And and there's never never any bad, there's never a right or wrong way Mm -hmm. to respond to someone manipulating you or abusing you or forcing you to do something. I think that every human reacts differently to to traumatic situation. And I think what was so powerful watching Dr. Ford's testimony was how humble and kind and almost apologetic she was. And I'm not I'm not blaming her. I, I think that's how all of us women would be in that circumstance. And that's why she was so relatable. Mm. And and, and, you know, and I, it's like, I also wanted to say to her, there is no shame. And, and she might know that intellectually, but I think emotionally, it is really hard 
to, to process that because we're socialized to feel badly when someone victimizes us sexually. Mm, yeah. All right. So um, here's another question I have for you. What, what about like, first I want to get to, after this question, I want to get to the legalization of sex working. Is that fair? Is that like a fair way to say it? Okay. I want to, I definitely want to touch on that, but first I want to talk about like, as a woman, are we doing things that support trafficking that we don't know? Like for example, in New York, we have these massage parlors all over the place, right? And they're infamous for, I'm just going to say it, right? Like they're infamous for their happy endings and this and that. And I always, you know, I go to them sometimes too. And I wonder like, oh, is this one, like, how do I know if it's a place that does it or not? And, you know, am I doing things that supports trafficking in some way that I might not know about? Sure. No, that's a really, really important question. I, I think, so I'm a big believer in, in harm reduction, right? Which is a principle that basically is not a punitive, it, it doesn't believe in sort of in punitive systems, but it more believes in supporting people where they're at. And so I think a couple of years ago, I remember a former colleague had worked on exposing the injustices in nail salons, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And there are severe labor violations in nail salons. And the solution isn't not going, right, to nail salons, but I think the solution is tipping very well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) paying well, tipping the women directly, if that's a possibility. I think, you know, in in treating people kindly, of course, that doesn't combat if they are being forced to do something that doesn't make it okay. Mm -hmm. But I, I... don't think the answer necessarily to stop patronizing a place or to shut a particular industry down because that in the end that really harms the workers the most. Mm-hmm. So I think it is to go in with eyes wide open as you're as you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. But to make sure that you are being a respectful customer that treats people well. Uh, and tips well. There's actually a dancer that I love and everyone should follow her, Jack the Stripper. <laughs> she has um, she has a big social media presence, but she actually has a hat that says tip her. And she's always saying, you know, just tip dancers well. And so I think that that is, you can disagree with stripping or you can disagree with various things, but at the end of the day, people need to make a living. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to treat people well and to tip people and, you know, just keep your eyes out. Uh, for for anything, and that that also goes to clients of sex workers too, mm-hmm. you know. Because yes, I mean, as you said, we I think we all participate in human trafficking, right? Like the clothes that I'm wearing, I don't know exactly how or where they were made or right. what, under what conditions. But for people that are patronizing sex workers, unlike many other feminists, I have no problem with clients of sex workers. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, there's a need for sex. But it, it goes, it's the same thing. Treat people well, pay people well, tip people well. Uh, and I think that clients of sex workers can really be allies if they go somewhere and they see something that doesn't seem right. You know, I would hope that one day we could have a society where that person could go to the police. Mm-hmm. Say, look, I went to get a massage or, you know, have sex with somebody and I, I didn't feel comfortable there. I, I think there are, thing, there are women that are underage. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we're just not there because, mm-hmm. you know, that client could be arrested, right? For right, so that leads right into the legalization. So, talk to me a little bit about that. And this is really where it's it's controversial. Yeah. And you know, I do I do want to say that I appreciate you sharing that, and I appreciate anybody listening to this right now, whether you believe in it or not. I think education is really important to understand um, each other and to understand, you know, like you said, women need to make a living. It's not always in the way that that we 
you know, think it should be, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about your stance on the legalization of prostitution. Sure. I fully support decriminalization of consensual adult prostitution. I think going back to sort of harm reduction, I think that whether somebody thinks sex work is a great thing or a terrible thing is irrelevant. Like, and I say that as a lawyer that's worked with hundreds of people in the sex industry, I think my, my personal feelings or other people's personal feelings are, don't really have a space, right, in, in dictating policy for people. And so in terms of how criminalization impacts people, specifically women and trans women who are sex workers, is it's an incredibly harmful practice. Mm-hmm. Right. If if we are looking at sex workers as victims, uh, which I don't agree with that, but let's say that that you know that is very often how the mainstream feminist approach is. Well, then why would we be arresting victims? Mm-hmm. So I think any way you look at it, arresting and punishing people is never the answer mm-hmm. for engaging in consensual adult sexual activity, or if you believe that they're a victim. Mm-hmm. Right. The criminalization is not helpful. And um, there was even a new term that was coined that it makes me cringe called the the defendant victim in the trafficking courts in New York Mm. or victim defendant. And that seems like an oxymoron to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we decriminalized consensual adult prostitution, uh, both sex workers and their clients, we would allow the police to focus on human trafficking, Mm -hmm. which is a real violation, right? They can have sex workers and clients be allies in the fight against human trafficking. Sex workers want more than anyone else to stop and prevent human trafficking. They are at the front lines of the industry, Mm -hmm. human trafficking into sexual labor. Of course, Mm -hmm. there's uh, nail salon workers and, you know, farm workers who are at the front line of of trafficking in those industries. But our answer there is never to shut down those industries, right? Mm -hmm. It's only with sex work. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a pragmatic solution and it is incredibly harmful. I mean, I've represented clients who were victims of trafficking who have 140 convictions on their record mm-hmm. and we need to get those vacated and they can't get a job and they're stigmatized and punished for the rest of their lives. And I think that is a, it's a very punitive, moralistic system that doesn't take into account that women, especially women of color, queer women of color are not given the same economic and educational opportunities Mm. as let's say white men. And therefore they're not just suddenly going to leave the sex industry and become a CEO at, you know, Chase Bank or something (laughs) like that's just not a realistic expectation. So when we say we want to stop sex work, what does that look like? What does that mean? Where would everybody go to work? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not a pragmatic uh, solution. Mm. So if we were to decriminalize, people could work more safely. They would have more bargaining power with clients. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have to be at risk of arrest and, and abuse by police. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something that people don't often like to talk about. Mm-hmm. But the police can be extremely abusive sexually and physically to people in the sex industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a pattern of police wielding their power against people in the sex industry, mm-hmm. especially trans women, women of color, who don't have the political capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I were to go in as a white cis woman to report a crime against me, the police will treat me with some, you know, decency uh, mm-hmm. and respect, but that's not. Obvious. And this is, this is a comment that you make based on experiences that you have had. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cause oh, yes. I just want to say that this is not like a, just a generalization of all 
police because obviously, yeah. you know, we're supporters of the police and we love the police, but yeah, there's definitely flaws in the system, of course. There's exactly. It's not about shaming particular policemen at all. It's really about larger power structures mm-hmm. that are in place that make that, that where there is that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think it's human nature. It's not just specific to police. I think it's human nature to wield power mm-hmm. when you have an in, when there is an innate power uh, imbalance between two parties. So it's mm-hmm. it's not hating the, the police. It's really hating the system that uh, puts again largely women of color, trans women who are working on the streets in this situation where they have no bargaining power. Mm-hmm, right. and a system that can wield that power over them. Mm. And I think that probably many cops, you know, completely have the right intention and in wanting to help women, but the system's in place, right? It sets it up so that they're like, well, I have to arrest because that's what I'm told to do. And then, right, they're brought in and well, we're taught not to believe people in the sex industry, um, because they're bad women, right? There, there's mm-hmm. sort of all of these larger systems in place that don't permit uh, full realization of human rights. Mm. What I think is so interesting about this is even as you're talking, and I'm going to make like a full-on confession here, even as you're talking, I have my moments of, well, you know, looking down on it, you know, like looking down on... Um, and I really try really hard not to be judgmental of other women and what they do, but this is almost like a training of the brain, right? We've been trained to yeah. believe that these things are not good and they're, they're, you know, there's a reason why it's illegal. And then anytime I have that moment, I always think back to like, you know, alcohol was once illegal too, mm-hmm. right? And so... Or marijuana. Correct. Well, I was just going to say, yeah. now, you know, people are talking a lot about marijuana and how horrible it is. And, and then I say, you know what? We just think that it's horrible because it's what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't make it right. It yeah. may be right. It may be wrong. It may be right for one person, wrong for another. That's what's so beautiful about this country is you get to have an opinion and you get to express it and do what yeah. makes you happy. But I just want to say, like, for anybody else that's experiencing those moments of, like, shame or, um, you know, feeling like this is a bad thing and what is she talking mm-hmm. about legalizing prostitution, I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm just saying explore it. Explore mm-hmm. why you think something is a certain way. This is true for anything in life. Explore why you yeah. feel something is a certain way and ask yourself, is this actually the truth? You know, yeah. is it is it the truth? And I, you know, over the years, my opinions have changed about things as I've changed. And I would like to say to everybody out there listening, your opinions might also change at some point and that's okay too. Definitely. And I think it's so important to, and it, so few people are as reflective as you're being, because uh, it does make people uncomfortable. You say prostitution or stripping or porn, people get in, innately uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I've been working in this field for almost 20 years. So I've had a long time of, you know, not, it's so comfortable for me, but I, I think it's actually, I'm glad you sort of reminded me it is not comfortable for most people. And especially for women, we feel like, oh, well, to be a good feminist, we have to be this way or dress a particular way or what have you. Listen, even in my world of boudoir photography, yeah. I get that often that it's soft core porn and you're, you're exposing yeah. these women and you're objectifying them. And 
And I'm like, well, that's really about how you look at it. Like I always say, what you see in my art says more about you than it does about me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mission is to create art. And yeah, I get my girls undressed, but that's my, that's my way. And I believe in the power of that. I always say, shed your clothes, shed your inhibitions. And yeah. these women are owning that and they're in charge of that. And you can't objectify somebody that is owning it. <laughs> you know, you just exactly. can't. You can try, but you can't. So I understand because I'm also very desensitized to certain yeah. things. And then I know it like shocks people when they, they say, oh, I saw something on your Instagram and it was kind of shocking. I'm like, really? But it also goes to show, this is really what I believe, that how afraid the world is of, of women, really. Yes. Like how afraid they are of women's bodies and women yes. and the power that we actually hold. And it's just, in my opinion, society's way of holding it down even more and more and more. And 100%. that's that's really why I want to bring this topic. Um, you know, I wanted to bring this topic to the podcast because obviously I want to help people if they're in this situation mm-hmm. and I want to educate people. Cause I think the only way to educate is to hear all sides. Uh, you know, you can, like I said, you can believe whatever you want, but you have to hear all sides, you know, but it's really also about at the end of the day, the fear of women. And this yes. is really what I think being a feminist is often about it might, you know, I, I talk in my, my book about, you know, being a feminist is it, it shows up in different places for different people, mm-hmm. right? For you, you're an activist. I'm not as much of an activist. I like to really inspire and I like to, you know, I'm not going to Washington DC and walking in a March necessarily, but if you want to, I think that that's great. We all have our different places, yes. feminism, right? And being yes. a feminist. And, but the, the truth is we're all basing it on one thing that the world is scared of women. Definitely. Definitely scared of women, women's bodies, and women's sexuality. It's terrifying. And just to bring it back to the Kavanaugh hearings, right? I mean, here we are having this man who is very likely going to be able to regulate all of our bodies Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, basically ban us from access to safe reproductive health, um, which will result in a lot of people getting a lot of poor women dying, right? Without access to safe abortions. And here we are analyzing his complete lack of respect for women's bodies when he was a teenager. And he still, of course, has no respect for women's bodies, but he's just able to wield that power <laughs> to screw all of us over, right? right? But it, it sort of, he was raised and taught by society, by whatever, to have no respect for, for women's bodies. And he's in the norm. Mm-hmm. He's not an outlier, right? The right. sort of date rape, college prep stuff is, was, is, you know, unfortunately very normalized as is um, politicians' ability to wield power, male politicians' power, you know, ability to wield power over our bodies. Yeah. So I think it, it all ties in. There's this tremendous fear. Yeah. And I think, you know, listen, what you're saying is obviously very political. We know where you lie politically. And there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who do not agree with you politically. And that's fine. Also, everybody's entitled to their opinions. And I want to respect everybody's opinions in that way. Um, But the truth is we need to investigate for ourselves. We need to understand for ourselves and really be educated when you make decisions on, you know, who you vote for and who you support and, you know, what you believe should be legal and illegal. Again, there's no right or wrong answer, which is why we have politics in this country, right? It's why everything is so fiery. Um, But I just think for women to be able to advance, you know, we need to really set up boundaries um, with men in this world. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see it even, even with the men in my life that I know respect women, 
mm-hmm. and you know, believe in women, they're confused. They go, well, I don't understand. Like, so mm-hmm. if I have a secretary and I lean over the desk, that's not okay now. Like, is that, you know, like they're confused and I understand that, you know, I yeah. do understand the confusion. Yeah. Um, it is confusing, but so I think the more and more that women speak out and stand up and own their rights, then, you know, maybe men will be less confused and women will be less confusing in that way. Right. I think we're in a big moment of shifting, like shifting public discourse and public norm, like social norms. So it's going to be messy. It's Mm going to be complicated. It's going to be confusing. And so I think we're in the midst of that, Mm -hmm. of having you know, the Aziz Ansari stories that maybe shouldn't be public or what, you know. Um, well, and that's, that's a good question, actually. Let's talk about that for just one second. Yeah. Is every woman to be believed? No. I mean, I'm a defense lawyer. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I know. But I mean, is every woman meant to be believed? I, I, you know, I struggle with that because, you know, I'm a feminist that works primarily with, with women, and many of, of my clients and community members have been abused and raped. And of course I believe them, but I don't, I, I also am a defense lawyer and I believe very strongly that you're innocent until proven guilty. And I also don't particularly, and as a defense oriented person, I don't like public shaming. I'm not such a big fan of prosecutions. <laughs> Do I believe like Bill Cosby, violent rapist should be behind bars? Sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a big fan of pointing the finger at everybody, of publicly shaming people, of arresting everybody. I'm just, I'm not a fan of it. Um, and so I think that there is a, con- you know, sort of, I think that if a, if somebody comes forward and shares a story of rape or sexual assault or violence, they should be, you know, have the same access to being heard Mm-hmm. And having their story be evaluated in the same way as somebody comes forward and says they were robbed, right? Or like in a non-sexual, uh, non-physical crime. But I think to say that you need to believe everyone's story as a, as a lawyer is just, I can't, like, I no, I can't get behind that. And I know that that's not a popular statement to make right now, um, and I, I think that the gray, there's a gray, the gray area is what is confusing people. This is just by observation. I mean, if a woman comes forward and says that she was raped or sexually assaulted, men seem, or, and, and women seem to go, oh, okay, I understand. That's like a tangible thing, you know, right. and, I, and I believe you. Yeah. It's sort of that in between of like, well, he harassed me, yes. or, you know, and, and they go, well, that, that is subjective. You know, like, and so how do we, I guess, um, and you might not have this answer, but I'm just, I'm just talking out loud, you know, you know, how do you navigate that subjective area? I think it's so tricky. I think, you know, and, and it's funny because I joke all the time that I'm like, I end up being somewhat of a male apologist, even though that's not my intent. But I think for me personally, as a woman, uh, it is very hard to make me uncomfortable. Mm. Something that might make a woman, especially maybe a younger woman, right? I'm not a millennial. I'm 38, almost 39. <laughs> um, and so I was brought up, you know, bef- obviously before Me Too. I mean, Me Too is recent, but, you know, in, 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 I'm not 100 years old, but in a slightly different era where something, you know, a, a, a male colleague touching my shoulder or telling me I look nice that particular day doesn't make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. However, I can respect and acknowledge Uh, and appreciate that it might make someone else feel uncomfortable. Mm. And so I think part of it is all of us taking stock as women 
about our levels. It's, I'm not saying we should adjust our levels to accommodate men. No, but I think it's, it's that it's, I'm also telling the other women that might feel like me, it's okay. It's okay. If you don't find everything offensive or, um, you know, I think it, everyone has, a, has different push points. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And I think as a, as a culture and a society, we're trying to figure out, you know, are, where those push points and acceptability are. I think there is a lot of things that men used to say in work environments that are not acceptable and should not be acceptable. I think it's very fluid. You know, as, as women, I could speak for myself as I change, as I age, as I, my priorities are different. Yeah, certain things are very different now than they used to be, you know, like yeah. in my twenties, I would like love it when everybody told me, Oh, you look great. Or you look hot or you look what, you know, right. uh, in fact, I was listening to the radio the other day and this woman made a comment about like how somebody called her sexy. And it was like such an insult. Like she huh. was like, it's such an right. empty compliment. Like how about telling me that I'm smart or I'm, I'm beautiful from the inside or I'm just to say I'm sexy is like very, um, you know, shallow. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm 43 years old. If somebody called me sexy, I'd be thrilled, you know, <laughs> like that would be like amazing. So it's just, you know, it's funny how it's different. It, it is. It's, it's changing our thinking also. You it know? Is. My husband said to me, I don't understand sexy is not a compliment anymore. And I'm like, you know, it's funny because yeah, like I said, it is a compliment if you called me sexy, but she's kind of right too. Mm-hmm. It is a little empty. It is a little bit like just Definitely. about sex and I, you know, oh, I'm horny for you. And like, that's, you know, so it's just, it's a very interesting dynamic that's happening. And I'm almost like, it's confusing and it's messy, but I'm excited to watch what's going to come about from all of this. It is. It's totally confusing and messy. And sometimes I self-analyze as well when I'm like, well, I'm okay with that. Why am I okay with that? Did, have mm-hmm. I internalized misogyny? Well, sure. We've all, we've all internalized misog- misogyny. We're in a patriarchal society. So it's, but I think having those conversations and seeing where, you know, where your own comfort lies, but also importantly, respecting where other people's comfort lies you know, and, uh, you know, the Aziz Ansari story was sort of a perfect example where there was such a, a social push pull. Is that, you know, is that just a shitty date that like every woman has been on, but is right. that okay? That doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Is it assault? You know, I did not believe that, but someone else could, you know, frame it as assault, you know, and, and I guess at the end of the day, even though I, I, what really struck me about that particular story is I hate public shaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I felt terrible for him, not excusing his behavior, but just the fact that there's this public shaming that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Um, but just the fact that we're having a, a, a public dialogue about, mm-hmm. well, isn't, isn't that what every date is like, but is that okay right. that men are socialized to not pick up on cues? Yeah. Uh, and so how can we, and I have two boys, right? And so I have to constantly think, and they're young, but like, I have to constantly think of, you know, how am I raising my boys to the boys need to be the ones responsible, yeah. not the girls. It's not about raising your girls to say no and close your legs. It's about raising the boys to be attuned, to be sensitive, to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So the burden has always been on us. Amen, sister. <laughs> on so many, so many levels, the burden is always on us. So amen to that. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. And um, you know, I would love to hear any feedback that anybody out there has to say about this topic. Like I said, I know it's controversial, but this is, this is real life. This is what we're going through in this country today. So I appreciate you sharing. Tell us again where anybody can find you that wants to reach out to you or maybe needs help getting out of a terrible situation. 
Sure. So anyone who uh, can go on our website, it's www.soarinstitute.org. All of our contact info is on there. Um, so you can contact us. And as I said, I'm an attorney. My partner is a therapist. So we have sort of cover both, both fields um, and can set people up with referrals or uh, triage as needed. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.